Welcome to the Culture of Leadership. We have conversations that help you develop and become a more confident leader. What do millennials want from their leaders? This is the key question we unpack in this episode with Tim Garth and Dan Osborne. Tim and Dan are the hosts of the Two Drunk Accountants podcast, where each week they dispel the myths and mysteries of running a small business, one drink at a time. They also run an accounting firm together, Cats Accountants. As the workforce shifts towards a younger generation, it's crucial to understand the expectations and needs of millennial workers. Tim and Dan are two millennial leaders who share their experiences and insights on what it takes to be an effective leader for their generation. They give some practical advice for leaders who want to build a strong and sustainable culture that resonates with their millennial workforce. This is the Culture of Leadership podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers. Sit back and enjoy my conversation with Dan and Tim. Which one of you guys has the strong idea about where are we going wrong leading millennials if you're not a millennial leader? Yeah, look, I think as a millennial, uh, we can talk about this topic. And so I appreciate you asking us this. I think just coining the term millennial can be a tricky thing, actually, because millennials don't want to be put into a bucket, really. Mm, don't put us <laughs> in a box, friend. <laughs> yeah. We don't really want to be put in a box, but we do kind of need that. So it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors with millennials. It's a bit of society now. Like, it is, we, yeah. we put everyone in a box, right? Yes. Isn't that the way we do things? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't like it. Uh, millennials speaking of boxes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> millennials especially don't like yeah. it. No. Yeah. Like, we kind of want to think we're special and unique and that you can't box us up. So I think like probably just some of the mistakes that are being made is it's just that old school mentality of production line workers, mm. not focusing on purpose or authenticity not building community or culture, that just approaching work like work is probably the big mistake to make with a millennial. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to put it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That work is work. Yeah. (laughs) And then you can live your life when you go home. I mean, even speaking about, you talk about the box, don't like being put in the box. And okay, we joke a little bit, everything's identity something or putting people in a box and stuff. But is that the, the biggest problem we're having today? as non-millennial leading millennials and putting these stereotypes around people. You know, the Gen X, the Gen Y millennials, this is how they are. This is what they do. And they're a pain in the ass. They're difficult to lead. They want to be managers in five seconds of being in the business, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I I think you've just hit it on on the head, actually, is that like, yes, uh, we don't like being put in a box. Yes, we don't want to be told what to do. (laughs) And yes, it may feel like we want to be managers, but really we just want to be included in the solutions process. Yeah. You know, it, it might not be that we want to manage, but we just want to feel like our input is valued, our our thoughts are valued. A seat at the table, really, the table. I think yeah. is is probably what Dan's saying there. Yeah. We want to be a part of the process and feel like a part of the solution. Mm. But also, millennials, we know, prefer a hug than a berating if something goes wrong. So mm. safety net. So we want freedom, but also safety. <laughs> <laughs> we want everything. Freedom, it's really but safety. Tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky because we want to we want to feel a sense of ownership and, and entitlement and control. But the bad the bad sides of that are stress and responsibility, and I guess potentially working overtime and things that millennials 
don't want as well because they want that balance, the work-life balance. So millennials are tricky because I, I feel like maybe they don't even get that themselves about themselves no. too. And I, I think uh, another part of it is, is that, yes, we're very purpose-driven. We're, we're very much one of that seat at the table. But what that looks like for every millennial could be different. Mm. So the reason it is so hard to sort of pin down what it is that we want is because we all want the same thing overarching, which is a seat at the table in, and to feel part of the process. But that is different for every single person because our values are different. What drives us are different. Yeah. What we care about is different. So the things that we want to sort of solve could be different. Mm. But really, it's just let us be part of that process, I think is, yeah, definitely. is the and, overarching. And even if it's just feeling part of a bigger purpose or culture or that your values are in alignment with the organizational values and that the organization is doing bigger things, then you feel like you're creating change or better outcomes for the greater good. Where do you think, if I reflect back on my journey of starting in a full-time role as an employee working for somebody, a business, I just had an expectation that I didn't necessarily get that seat at the table. I never felt like my opinion wasn't valued, but I just had an expectation and it was normal that my leader or the manager or the organization, the state manager, for example, made various decisions. And they may have had some conversation in amongst their team, but I never felt like I wasn't valued. Where do you think in, I guess, say my upbringing, Generation X, and your upbringing has created this, we want time at the table. We want to feel included. We want to have an insight, an input into what's happening? It's a really good question. I mean, uh, we're, we're sort of a unique, especially you know, people who are Tim and I's age, we're sort of a, a unique age where we remember what it was like before the internet. We existed before that was a big part of our lives. Social media didn't really exist until we were in our later years in high school. And even then it was in its infancy. But maybe that access to so much information, that access to so much content, to so much of the world that, you know, before those things existed, it was just, you lived in a very small section of, of, of the world. You know, you, you lived in your local community and that was sort of what you knew unless you went out and explored. But we have access to the world, really. And so maybe it's that access that's made us realize, well, no, we, we can see what's out there. We, we want to be part of this. We, we don't just think we're limited to this. We, we want to be out there and we want to be doing things. And so therefore, give us a seat. We want to explore. Yeah, like so. You that's that's hitting on technology a bit there. Yeah, um, and that has to be a factor, right? So smartphones. It's so funny. I've been watching um, an old TV show, Grey's Anatomy, and uh, it's back in two thousand and four, and they've got their flip phones. Mm. And um, <laughs> just, uh, I think on average, a bit like my phone. Brenda's still running the flip phone, yeah. which is a bold choice. You got a Nokia thirty three ten, Brendan. You're just still rocking the snake, are you? Somewhere or? in my toy yeah. box. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and like I think I even read something recently that the average amount of text between two adults in a relationship used to be something like 400 a year, and that there was more. There were there were long messages that they would send to each other. Mm. Whereas now people probably do that in a week, 400 messages yeah. easily, easily, easily. So it's probably our connection to technology, the amount of information, and just the and just how readily available that has been to us throughout our entire life is maybe, for better or worse, just sped up the way that we interact with work, with our friends, with our loved ones. And, and guess what? 
it's only going to get worse from from here on <laughs> yeah, in. Every definitely. generation after us uh, uh, have yeah. even more access than we ever did, and uh, are more connected to technology than we ever were. Definitely, they they were born in an era where literally everything was at your fingertips. And so we went to a conference last year where there was a speaker about the, the generation alpha, the, the next generation. Tim's baby baby son is is yeah. this generation. My son is an alpha. Yeah. Wow. And and apparently <laughs> help you, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish I was. Tim was Tim was born a beater anyway, so it's fine. But <laughs> but but apparently they're going to be even more demanding and even like everything should be personalized to them. And it, and it's you know purpose in your business isn't just a, a want; it's an expectation for them. Yeah. So Lewis is going to be like, you were raised with the technology. Exactly, yeah. I was born with it. <laughs> born by it. <laughs> I look forward to interviewing little Tim in about 20 yeah. years time or something. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get his insight. Have his own podcast. Yeah. Alpha knows. Tim. Yeah. So it's sort of like we're, we're an introduction to the world of, of, of these types of people. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the serious side of that is that from a leadership perspective, it's not going to get any easier for leaders. Those leaders out there, and, and believe me, I, I deal with them. I have a conversation with them. They're frustrated around these things. It's, it's a real adjustment for them. So if someone's leading you, what is the most important thing for you, Dan, to get from that leader? Yeah, I, I think pretty much everything that we've gone through, you know, I, I want a, a sense of purpose. I want to feel like I'm part of a... Um, so, you know, I said the most important thing. See, a millennial, you want everything. Exactly. You want to answer the question <laughs> exactly. with all these things. <laughs> it's, it's, There's no one thing. There isn't, and, and, and that's so true. There isn't just one thing either. You know, we're, we're, we're joking, but there isn't. If, Don't if, box him in, Brendan. Exactly. If, <laughs> I apologize. If you're my leader, Brendan, you walk in and you just tell me what to do, I I'm just going to be like... exclusive. Get stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on, mate. Yeah, the option's if, open here. It's, uh, yeah, just have us part really really if you can broaden this it's just have us be part of the process don't tell us what to do include us in coming up with that design and that includes what's the reason why we're doing what we're doing that includes how do we do it that includes what the end result is that's really cool though i think so brandon you just said that it's hard i totally agree with that it would be hard managing us it, mm. We have people working in our business who are millennials and it's not easy, but it's not never easy managing anyone ever. So, yeah. so let's just throw that out the window. It's mm, a good point. Yeah. I think actually... Mm, you're right, Tim. People suck. <laughs> <laughs> they don't suck. Oh, sorry. I thought that's where you were going managing with it. Managing is yeah. hard. No, it's that's your opinion, not, uh, not mine. I thought that's where you were going with it. <laughs> yeah. What I really wanted to say though is I feel like done the right way, managing a millennial could actually be easy. Could actually be super easy. So my dad, we work in a family business. We bought the business off my dad. And um, I think he did a great job mm. of basically like giving us the freedom and the space to do things. Yeah, I agree. And by doing that, sure, we had moments where we failed. But he was there to help us in those moments and to really fine-tune the learnings from that and support us if we needed help. But really, he gave us free reign. I, and yeah, the business grew. The business grew as a result. Definitely, we worked much harder. We were invested. We ended up buying the business off him as well. It's the best thing he could have ever done, and his life became a lot easier because we were doing all the work. <laughs> so I think, but that is hard because it obviously involves a lot of trust. Easier for dad because it's his son doing it. So how do you develop that trust with your millennial workforce? Is probably the tricky question there. And I think something that you said then, Tim, is, is that we did make mistakes. 
and that was okay. Yeah, it's gonna and be okay. Yeah. We're gonna make mistakes. Mm. If if you empower somebody to to have the freedom to come up with a solution to to try something, mm. it's not always gonna work. And you have to understand that and be okay with that because if they do have that freedom, they're gonna come up with something that's pretty good eventually. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And and you don't have to come up with it because they like doing that. They don't wanna just be a cog in the machine that that turns, you know, turns around and processes the work. They wanna, oh no, let's redesign the machine. And sometimes that'll work, sometimes it won't, but you need the freedom to be able to do it. And and your dad was really good at that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what would have crushed that is if he tried to control the process and control both our inputs and our outputs by framing what we needed to produce or how we needed to act or behave to produce those things. And really by basically doing less, he achieved more for himself, the business and for us. So... If you think something's hard and you approach it as though it's going to be hard, of course, it's probably going to feel pretty hard when you're doing it. And if you're managing a millennial and you think it's going to be hard, you're probably going to make it hard for yourself and you're going to butt heads. But in fact, it might be easier if you just take a step back, ask them what, how they think they should solve the problem. Mm. But build the safety nets in as well, not just abdicating yeah. and, and letting them fall over, and letting the business fall over as well. The word that comes to mind is risk. And the reason I think of that is, he, in the example you're giving, allowed you guys to take some risk and to potentially fail. I'm sure he's giving a guiding light so it's not a, a big failure and damage the business too much, those sorts of things. But there's also an element, I, I think, that millennials, in my experience, seem more open to taking risks, to giving things a crack. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, really, yeah. not much. Yeah, Whereas maybe my generation, I certainly know my personality, but my generation maybe a little bit less risk averse and older generations before that even much more risk averse. Where do you think that tolerance potentially for a greater risk comes from in millennials? Great question. All I could probably think around that is always, we always got participation awards. I was never winning best in Paris, right? So um, I got awards for, for good attendance. I got awards award. for good attendance at school. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally just turning up. Wow. <laughs> and I got a certificate. So we were really probably protected from a lot of the feeling of, of failure or the feeling like that just participating was a risk. So really by just turning up and being there, we were winning and we could get awards and certificates for doing that. Yeah. That's probably all I could think. I haven't really thought about that, that uh, uh, very uh, much until you asked that question. It's an interesting but, point though. Uh, mm. On an individual I think that's, yeah, you're probably 100% right. Uh, on a larger scale, you know, if you're looking worldwide, macro sort of picture, we didn't really live through any significant worldwide problem. Like we weren't the Very war true. generation. You know, we didn't grow up during the war and you had to just kind of focus on what you're doing and get things done. Vietnam and all that wasn't part of our life. Very true. The 90s were a pretty good time, really. There's no recessions. No recessions. It wasn't until was, later on when we, you know, we graduated high school as the GFC started. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, yeah. But even then it was sort of like, well, this is just the world we live in. So, so I think it's a combination of the time we grew up in was, was we're pretty, pretty lucky. lucky and pretty safe, mm. um, which allows us a, a ground in which to make risks from because we know, oh, well, things are fine. Yeah. We'll be okay. Yeah. Um, so there's a safety net in the world, really, at that time. Yeah. What's the downside of it, or potential downside? Restlessness. It's, you know, Tell it, us more. There's probably you know generations before us who get a lot of value in just doing the work, sitting mm. down, yeah. working hard, 
doing a hard day's work, getting a hard day's pay, you feel rewarded by that. Whereas I think a lot of people I know, a lot of millennials, there's not as much satisfaction in that, which means if, if you're constantly searching for validation, you're constantly, constantly searching for a purpose, things are going to change a lot. You're going to have to keep adapting. You're going to have to keep changing. You have to keep improving. And so you're never quite settled. I know in our business, we're always looking for how we can change. improve, how we can change. What's the next thing? What's the next software? What's the next service? What else can we be doing? Which we're is constantly hard. pushing. Which is definitely harder for people who aren't millennials. Yeah. So um, that change is unsettling for them. We've got team members who aren't millennials as well. Yeah. And all the tech changes, all the way we just change systems... On a dime, dime. is is pretty pretty hard for them, and there's also just that risk of we want to have sense of purpose, community, culture. We're bored by the work sometimes, but the work is what ultimately creates the value too for our customers and in the world with what we do. So we've got to be really careful that we don't go too far with our mentality of work life balance and. Let's make things interesting and make things more efficient because you end up maybe just overdoing it a bit. And then you've got less time to just do what it is essentially you're there to do, which yeah. is the work. Yeah. It's I, very, very easy to just overbalance and go too far. I think way. you and I are quite unique and, and, and it's been a, a product of, of the place that we've worked and, and the freedom that we have had and doing things like the podcast has allowed us to give some of that creative juices out. But we're quite unique in the fact that we're probably the only one of the only people I know that would be eligible for long service leave. We stay in the one job <laughs> for a long time. Um, whereas most millennials chop and change, not just jobs, but entire careers, careers yeah. pretty regularly. I suppose that would be the downside is, is that, yeah, you're, you're restless. You're looking for something new constantly. There may be less dedication to craft, yeah. basically. Mm. Yeah. Once things get a little hard or you've got to sit and do something for, say, eight hours a day and focus on that, it could be quite challenging to do because you'd rather just fire off emails or be in a bunch of meetings or have the big morning tea or yeah. the, the big work function instead. Those things are way more interesting. There's, there's a few things out of that again, but how do we, as a leader leading millennials, how do you reduce the restlessness? Variety and having that seat at the table like we said originally it's it's there's a lot of creativity in trying to come up with solutions for things and being part of that process whereas if if it's just hey Brendan this is your job this is what you do process this work you have 8 hours knock off at 5 we're just going to get bored so give us tasks give us challenges give us things to work on find areas that your employee feels passionate about so we have team members who love particular types of work that's not directly related to what they do, but we found a way to help them do that work as part of their job and, and incorporate it in and, and, and build that purpose into their day-to-day. -day. Mm. And I think that's... Which is benefiting the business. Benefiting the business, but also keeps them engaged and excited as well. I think that's probably... Yeah, and I think just like reward. So we... As millennials, you guys giving, sure. you're giving participation stickers out in your business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Severance? We we do like waffle parties <laughs> yeah. and dance parties. Yeah. Dance parties. Yeah. I haven't, but I yeah. can imagine. Oh my God, <laughs> check it out. Um, they're definitely like reward. So it may be as simple as just a mention or some gratitude from the manager, which maybe they feel like they don't need to do or they feel like is overkill. That definitely goes a long way. I think. For millennials, if they feel like they're being noticed and their hard effort 
is being noticed. But I think, yeah, working with them to figure out what drives their behavior too. Maybe a good and a bad thing we've done recently is put in some dashboards in our workplace, which made output more visible. So we're performance. That's right. Yeah. So we're accountants. And obviously, our time is really our biggest cost and our biggest thing that we can deliver with value too. So we sell knowledge. So we have to track billable hours. It's unfortunately, we have to do timesheets. But dashboards are also potentially the way that our millennial team members, or just our team members in general, can get ahead. Because if they're working harder, that's the instant feedback that they're hitting their targets and that they're producing more value and that they are progressing. So we have to balance that because we obviously can't expect them to do eight hours billable of an eight-hour day. That's just unrealistic. But I, I think that's been good in a way because because they know we're not going to punish them for not hitting targets like overly bad. It's given them the power to see how hard they're working and instant gratification when they do hit those targets too. So we've aligned that with like a bonus program. And that's something millennials do love. It's money. <laughs> money is important given, you know, and like Gen X, Gen Y, they may also not appreciate this either. The, sm- the whole smashed avo thing. Houses are really expensive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and millennials, they, they want to they buy a house. They, yeah. wanna, they want to live their dreams. And at the moment, that is still owning your own home and or living where you want to live, if that's in the city or near the beach or wherever that may be. So if you feel like you can directly impact by your actions and your efforts, how much you're going to earn or be noticed and get reward for that, I think that's huge. So if you can build a system for that or ensure you're doing it every day or every week, just noticing the good things they do. I feel like that would be a massive way to help work with millennials. It's funny, just speaking about this out loud, you know, we're not perfect. We make many mistakes. And I think part of what makes millennials strong and, you know, this ability to take some risks and feeling like we can just change in a dime and, and doing all these things. Also, some of the things that lead to us making big mistakes as leaders, because we'll see a problem and go, great. Let's just switch it completely, 100% change. This is what we'll do from now on, the start tomorrow. And half the team will be like, whoa, 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 yeah. what are you doing? A lot of snip snapping. Man. Yeah. Mm. So I, I think it, it is funny to speaking out loud right now. I can kind of see some of the things that are positives for us as millennial employees also can be challenges for us as millennial leaders. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and we've got to figure out as millennials how to manage it, the other generations as well because they're not going to think like us. <laughs> mm, definitely. Uh, yeah, so, so how do you do that? Like the example I think Tim shared about the system changes, for example, and you're leading some non-millennial people mm. as well. What do you do to adjust your style or make inroads with those people? Yeah. And this is something we're still learning every day. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a perfect way. There's not a perfect way. But I think, yeah, you could just meet people on their level. And good managers are great at that, right? So they know what drives each individual in the team. And they're going to cater for that. Whether that be the type of work they're giving them or the support they're giving them or the targets they set and the accountability they drive towards that with. So... Um, and we've definitely made mistakes and had success with varying, th- varying things yeah. in that area. 
you know, there's a few fundamentals to leadership that are consistent across all generations of people because they're just people. You know, people like to feel valued. They like to feel like they have input. They like to know that um, we appreciate what they're doing. You know, all, all these things are the same across everyone. There's people. But there are some things that, uh, say, an older generation who does see value in just getting the work done and doing that would feel differently to someone who feels strongly about their purpose and is that incorporated into what they do. But what I've found, I think, is, you know, so we, we have a team member who's a millennial who loves to do really wants to get into like blood donation and charity work as part of work and, and have all that included. And that's a purpose for her. Whereas the older generation sees value in that, but it's not the priority. It's like work. And if that other stuff happens, that's cool. Where it's... So yes. they both see value in the same thing, but it's just which is the priority in which you focus on with each person. So yeah, there's, there's common things amongst everyone and people are the same, but it's yeah. just, you got to tweak it. Where does money and purpose sit for millennials specifically on that scale? Because you mentioned money. You guys mentioned purpose a lot today. I know you mentioned it through your podcast a number of times as well. Uh, and you guys have got a purpose through what you're doing in education of small business owners, those sorts of things, which is really powerful stuff. Where do you think it sits on that general scale for millennials, money, purpose? I, I definitely think there's like a point where you just throw the purpose out the window because the money's too low or too high like, uh, for, for millennials. Like, and all honestly, Definitely. I think that'd be a point It's got to be a realistic level of income. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there there yeah. needs to be a realistic level that allows them to do the things like buy a house and, and progress their life through those ways. But if you can do that while achieving a purpose, that's the prime spot. So it's like a lot of people will forego that little bit extra money above what they might need or want for, an, uh, for a business or for an organization that is also meeting their purpose. But that doesn't mean they're going to go below what they need to do that purpose, generally speaking. So it's, it's sort of even really like money first and then purpose would take over past a point, I think. Yeah, I think purpose is super important and people who aren't fulfilling that purpose will definitely take a pay cut. And I've seen it time and time again with millennials, with friends. We interviewed someone yesterday who is going to be taking a step back in pay to change roles, but also it's going to be a step back in responsibility, but it will be fulfilling their purpose of working towards becoming an accountant as well. And I know other friends who are doing the same thing, but they all have money in the future as an objective there too. So they say, well, I, I know that doing this now is going to mean taking a pay cut, but it's more in line with my purpose. And then in the future, I can earn that money and still fulfill the purpose. So I feel like, it, like Dan said, it's a balancing act, but they will make sacrifices now, particularly if they're in their 20s, early 30s. We feel like we have a lot of time left to do this. So, and we feel like things come quickly as well. So maybe in three years, we can progress to that higher <laughs> role, higher pay, yeah. still have the purpose. We'll make and- significant sacrifice for years, for two years max. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then I mean, I'm going to buy a house. It's not yeah. 10. You missed the zero on the yeah, end. Yeah. They're <laughs> not thinking in a decade. Yeah, no. They're thinking in two, three years, yeah. my life will be where I want it to be in terms of income, but I will have all the purpose that I'm sacrificing income for now in that time as well. So it's, it's super interesting. Yeah. When we were we, talking about coming onto the show with you and millennials, we put like Google as the gold star. Yeah. Whether or not it still is, I don't know. But everyone speaks of Google with the beanbags, the snacks, ping pong tables, and that they're given 20% of their time to be creative and 
fulfill a purpose, whether that's for the business or not. And yeah, I think for an environment like that, people would definitely be willing to take a pay cut, but they would have in the back of their mind, this is a successful business. I'm going to get in while it's good. And I'm happy to take that pay cut because it fits my purpose. Hopefully within five years, I can work myself into a spot where I'm also earning more money than I'm earning now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point is that, yeah, when I was saying that, yeah, they're they're not willing to go below a certain limit, at least not for that long. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm willing to take a cut for my purpose, but there's got to be a future financial benefit to that as well. Which there could be some yeah. really incorrect... That's an incorrect way of thinking. Big in- I'm not saying that's right, no, no. Neither, but <laughs> it's definitely the way we yeah. think. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, it's sort of like a, I can have my cake and eat it too type mentality. Mm. Um, I love cake. <laughs> God, I love cake. Mm. Any particular <laughs> variety? Mud cake, sponge cake, any cake. <laughs> Everything. Except for carrot cake. Ice cream Don't cake? Carrot, cake. carrot cake's great. Uh, ice cream cake's good. Ice yeah, cream one cream. Those I did have a beautiful <laughs> carrot cake the other day from... The Entrance Lake House. Oh, there you go. Very, very nice. Just to plug Sean and the Entrance Lake House. It was fantastic. Anyway, enough about carrot cakes. (laughs) Does this differ in what we've just spoken about and the the purpose money? Do you think there's a different weighting for earlier generations around purpose and money? Yeah, I I think there's a bigger weight on purpose for millennials and even more so for the next generations than the previous generations. However, I do think that purpose is still there for the older generations. It's just the weighting giving to it might be less. So if if it's 50-50 for millennials, it might be 60-40 for the generation before that, where it's like 60% is financial and what I need right now. And 40% is, all right, if I can also do purpose, that's great. But I'll sacrifice a bit of my values or purpose for that money. Whereas I think the, the next generations were probably more and more willing to sacrifice for purpose and values. Yeah, and there's been a big shift as well. If you just look at the household incomes and the way that men and women work these days, there's more balance there. So it's not necessarily like the man or the woman, if there used to be one income, main income earner in the house, needs to progress and get to that point where they are earning a quarter of a million dollars a year. Perhaps it is just doable these days to earn $100,000 per person in a household with two income earners, um, which means you can focus focus more on purpose and balance, which is tricky because then you're going to have two workers and kids to juggle. And that's right where I'm in the middle of as well. My wife's six months into her maternity leave and will want to definitely go back to work after 12 months, working probably three days a week. So I'm going to be a part-time worker at that point, but probably doing full-time hours as well, balancing all that out. But this is this is the millennial problem really well, like, maybe Dan told me a long time ago you've been a part-time worker for quite some time <laughs> yeah he was working part-time that, since I've known him uh, but he just didn't know that yeah, he was yeah. <laughs> Tim thinks full-time is more than 30 hours uh, yeah well does this again does this speak to what's work-life balance you Tim I think you mentioned work-life balance earlier like what define work-life balance in the millennial headspace it could be being at work 10 hours a day, but then you can go out for a nice lunch, play some ping pong, and then have an Xbox party at the end of the day or something. You know, it's not, those are all things that speak to me and everyone's different. But um, yeah, work life balance is, is more flexibility of time, it's not less time, which can be a trap that maybe some millennials fall into. They think work life balance is working less than a certain amount of hours per week so that I can do the other things. I think that's a massive trap 
It's not necessarily working less. It's just when you want controlling those parameters. So from home, playing golf in the morning and then working a bit later. Uh, that that's my read yeah. on it. No, I, I feel the same. It's it's flexibility. If if I need to go run a few errands on a day, that's great. I, I want to have the freedom to go do that. But I also know, all right, well, that work doesn't disappear. It's still my responsibility. I'm just going to work a couple hours Saturday morning or when I get home that night or whatever it is. But it's having that freedom to choose that and 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 figure out what you need to do on that day or in that moment. It's flexibility. Yeah. So there needs to be some visibility over. Hours work, the, the targets, and targets, yeah. and yeah, which millennials don't like as much. They don't but like. It that. is necessary. We we do yeah. respond well to accountability. Yeah, but you know, done in the right like way. It. Yeah, I think not in a controlling. Yeah, I'm breathing down your neck, big brother way. It's like I'm trying to help you succeed and give you the power of your own destiny. Yeah, let's touch on remote work then. Do you think that the millennial mindset from an employee perspective? works well for remote work? And have you actually seen that translate to maybe in your own business, millennial workers have evolved, adapted, been more flexible around that than maybe the non-millennial workers that you have? Yeah. You know, to be honest, everyone in our office, millennial or not, has adapted pretty well to working from home. There are some situations in which it doesn't work. Um, We've actually found younger generations and people just entering in the industry working from home is not a good option. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Why? There's, well, there's a lot to just be picked up from overhearing conversations or phone calls. A lot of quick questions that if you're not in the same room as someone... That water cooler conversation that's stuff. Right. That, that's the secret sauce, I think, in the development Developing of good habits. young people coming yeah. through. Yeah, the habits. Knowing how, you know, what working in blocks and, and knowing when to, how to structure your days and all those kind of things. You don't really learn that well unless it's a natural skill of yours at home by yourself. But if you can emulate the people who are succeeding in the office and figure out what's, what are they doing well and what, how does that work for me, that's something that you need to be there to learn, which is hard to communicate to someone via Teams or, or Zoom. But then once they've got that, yeah, the, the millennials in our office adapt completely well to working from home. They, they know how to do it. They know the technology. In a balanced way though. Yeah. So I think it only works where they do come in a part of the time. Probably not full-time. It can work full-time, definitely. Don't get me wrong. But they will miss the atmosphere and the culture and the community aspect. And they may end up looking for something that can offer them a little bit of that. Yeah, and that's, not, and they don't want it all the time. That's a, that's a good <laughs> point. They actually, want a little bit of it. If, if they want to go and have a coffee with someone, purpose driven or, or very yeah. um, community driven, then then working from home actually kind of takes that away. It's if lonely. you're doing it all the time, lonely. But if yeah, so what we it's we work with a piece. So yeah, yes. saying millennials or non millennials, people want connection. Yeah, people yeah. want connection, and yeah. that's something we realized over COVID is is, and we've made it a, a value of our business. It's human touch is one of our values, mm. and and that's. I think you should refine just <laughs> no, make no, sure you've got some sub paragraph around human touch. Human touch, however, that's one of my you, favorite things. Yeah. However, you interpret that is is why we you know just don't sue us. Um, <laughs> so, but but it's it's. Thankfully, I'm not a HR person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's something that we've we've realized that when we all were working from home, that our clients missed, that we missed, that our team missed. It was important. So we've implemented a, a hybrid working from home system where you get, you know, at a certain level, you can have a couple of days from home, a couple of days from the office, however that works. 
and it works pretty well. It does. Yeah. But I think millennials and the next generations or, or anyone who's good with technology and, and, and self-motivation works from home fine. Yeah. And it's, it's all give and take. So it's, it's just another one of those flexibility things, which are great if you can offer them. It's also a really good tool as a manager. Accountability-wise, you can take those things away too, <laughs> which you don't want to do, obviously. But if they're not performing or doing what you need them to do, then it's sort of like carrot and stick. That's the way I see it as well. It's a huge privilege to be able to work from home, especially if you only live 15 minutes from the office anyway. <laughs> uh, but it gives you the flexibility to walk the dog or do the workout, cook dinner during work hours, which is awesome. And actually, I've seen like the response is most people who work from home work harder yeah. too. I've seen it work longer hours in my house. I've seen yeah. it with me. I've seen it with our team members as well. Absolutely. Because they, I don't know, they they um, have more onus or responsibility to get the work done mm. as well. And it's that flexibility thing as well. If, if you do take that break at lunch to go grab a coffee or something, then you come home and then you just keep working. It's give and take. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think millennials are all take. No. It's probably the important message. <laughs> and I think that's the assumption. <laughs> we know what you have to give. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just need to understand if we're, perhaps if the manager is having an issue with a millennial and they want more give from them, they need to ask what they can be giving the millennial as well, which is going to feel wrong. And if they're just not fitting at all, then it's not a millennial problem. It's just a, just a person problem or an attitude problem. Yeah. If, if, that, if that employee is sitting there and you're telling them that this is the task they need to do, get your work done, and they're just kind of working the minimum required, you know, five o'clock, they're like, great, I've done what I need to do. I'm getting out of here. Um, I'm not going to think about it again until I'm sitting at my desk then maybe you're not, you're not giving them enough purpose, enough things that they're passionate about to incorporate into their work. Yeah, or um, giving them enough responsibility. Yep. And ownership Fle- flexibility as well. If you have given them all those things and it's still not working, I don't think it's a millennial issue. No, it's a person, it's a person issue. issue. Obviously, every gen- regardless of generation, there's different people, right? <laughs> but, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, very valid points. Flexibility, it is a a good word, especially nowadays with hybrid working environments and stuff. Do you guys feel that there's any stronger sense from the millennial workforce that they just have to have flexibility? They've got to have this hybrid work situation. Otherwise, they won't be looking or they won't be moving into that type of work where I need to be in an office five days a week versus other generations. Yeah, I I think so. And and I think we're now more able to work remotely than we've ever been. You know, even when we first started the idea of, of working from your home computer, it was it'd be almost impossible. Like the, the software we needed was all desktop based. Oh, yeah. The information we needed, there wasn't central sources of information. It was all based on a server in our office that was hard to log into. So it's, it's so much more possible to do it now. Um, so the thought of doing it is probably more in our minds because we can. Whereas in the prior generations, you might have wanted to do it, but you just couldn't. You can't work from home if if you're working in a factory. <laughs> you know that doesn't that doesn't work. But if you're in a professional service business and everything's online, like we don't have one bit of software that we can't access right now on our phone that we use, then yeah, well, we can do it. So that's maybe we Why should. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, mm. yeah. I think it's bare necessity for anyone, regardless of generation, really. But definitely millennials and below are going to want it. A lot, I think. And it's a good thing. It's just got to be balanced. Controls put in place. Mm. Uh, has to be professional. But yeah, if it can improve your life, you can also get your work done at the same time. Why not? Why not? 
definitely. One of the key elements, let's say, is mastery of role for a, a really good level of engagement of for people in the workplace. How do you help millennials? What do we need to do as leaders of millennials to help them reach a level of mastery or at least mm. competence? Mastery is way up here, but somewhere between that competence and mastery level. What do we need to do? More and more, I'm convinced it's deep working. I really love the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. And I, this is probably, I can relate so much to this as a millennial. I'm always connected to a device or a screen and I'm constantly trying to keep ahead of the curve with things and be organized. But sometimes that turns into like reactive responding to emails as soon as I get them or messages as soon as I get them. Or if someone wants to talk, arranging a call that day or a meeting that week. And then all of a sudden, you get into this habit. It's almost, you know, you read it's, it's endorphin based, right? You want to get the shallow tasks done or the busy work done. That's probably, I feel, one of the biggest traps for millennials or the younger generations coming through because let's face it, because of all the screens, our attention span is probably reducing a bit. And most important, vital work that is being created in the world takes time and focus. At least three hours, two to three hours of focus work a day. So that's probably the big one for me is trying to change the way someone is working so that they don't think the most important thing is to keep their email inbox at zero. By all means, they need to keep it low and respond and communicate and take care of all those things. But they're placing more important on the shallow, busy work than the focus value creating tasks. So that's probably the big one to me. Because if they can spend more time focusing and doing deep work, they're going to learn, they're going to get better at their job and they're going to get more, more done. I couldn't agree more. Just before you bring in your insight, Dan, what do you do? What do we need to do to set up the space for deep work? Yeah, I think it's trying to... And this is a work in progress as well because it's a work in progress in my life too. But I think for all of us. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, I think it's just like being open about... For me, it's being open about my experience with it, how I'm trying to improve that by say changing my calendar around, talking to them about why I don't book meetings at certain times or places, why I work in the office on certain days as an example, so that I have time to do the focus work. In a way as well, setting expectations and it's a two-way street. They don't have to respond to my messages or emails straight away and vice versa because the instant message is, is the path of least resistance when we're stuck or... But it's the most distracting thing ever. So I think it's just having that open conversation. And if there is some courses or some learning you could do, we're, like we're, we're trying to get everyone in our office to read that book, Deep Work, but there's many books like that. And I think more and more, there's going to be people pitching courses and education around productivity and, and focused deep work. And everyone's going to be different with if they're most productive in the morning or afternoon, everyone's going to be different. So just being open and having a conversation about it. It's a great starting point, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Transparency is always important, whether you go back to your dashboard and yep. any transparency out there or something you're trying in your own space and people look at that and yeah. how can they respect that? How can they take insight into that? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I guess if you're getting the feedback from your team that they're burned out or overworked, 
And maybe the results aren't really even showing that from a performance perspective. It's not initially, it's not instantly reacting like, well, you're obviously just not very good at this. In fact, they might be trying too hard and therefore missing what's actually important. So yeah, it's probably just not jumping to conclusions and trying to point them in the right direction. But often, I don't know if you've experienced this, Brendan, but you've got to really figure it out yourself first through mistakes and learning. And maybe the team members need to do a little bit of that too. Um, but we need to put a safety net around that. Internalizing looking at ourselves first is always a good starting point for any change, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, and sure. so it's just really hard to try and get them to do that if they're not ready, if they're not ready for it. But over time, something's got to give if they're not, if they're feeling constantly burned out and not getting their projects across the line on time then there's obviously something wrong there. Dan, what's your thought, if it's any different to what Tim's saying, just around how do we help them move to a competence to even mastery for those who want to achieve mastery in something? I think Tim hit the nail on the head. The the, the more experience we've had with leading a team and, and different people is, is, yeah, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to, to have all these millions of tasks, emails, instant messaging amongst team, client calls, whatever it is, but it's hard to then just sit down and learn something for an extended period of time. The more and more we've had more junior team members in, you can just see them lose focus so quickly. Oh, Their yeah, attention definitely. spans are tiny. You just see like... The you, yawns. You, you'll be explaining something and they yawn. <laughs> you are boring. Or, or they just sort of like start wandering their eyes off in another direction and you're like, okay. Tap the phone screen. Yeah. You see those ones or even the phones on the table. And, and what yeah. makes that even more hard for us at the moment is, is um, you know, uh, you'd be familiar with two-factor authentication, right? So we have 10 different softwares that we use every day at multiple times. And every time you go into one, you're going to need to use that authenticator. Anything that's connected to the ATO requires you to do it every day now. So it's not click, wait for 30 days. We have to, So we're constantly looking at our phones. Yeah. And there's no way to avoid that. But if we can help set up processes where you're you know, teaching them about task batching or, or you know, when you're putting like things together or, or setting dedicated time to be like, here's when I'll be distracted by email. And I don't need to worry about my email until I have my distracted time. And then that's when I'll focus on it. And the rest... This is where I do my deep work on this one thing where I'm going to learn this hard tax problem and work my way through a difficult thing. And it's just retraining that brain to do that over time. It's not easy. It's not easy for us. It's not easy for them. So yeah, and, and I think, yeah, just the, the more and more we've been doing it, the more I think you're right. Yeah, because if you think about it, people may not go and do professional development or learning if they're too busy. They won't. They won't because they need to hit their targets to get their bonus and to progress in their career but they're going to lose out on learning and getting to a higher level. They can't go and mix with other professionals and learn other techniques and progress their knowledge too. So yeah, if you're not task batching or working smarter and not harder, then it's just not going to work. And I think millennials will be open to that mentality. Yep. In fact, probably older generations may shy away from that because they're like, nah, just just going to work harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to work overtime. It's going to work on the weekend. Get that done. You're like, well, well, well. <laughs> Why do you have to work on the weekend? <laughs> We're definitely the generation of trying to work smarter, not harder. Like uh, the, the laziest productive employees possible. Like, <laughs> how do I do as much work in as little time and effort as possible? And, and yeah. that's the goal, really. Like the, the crocodile. It's not a bad mindset the... to have. <laughs> yeah. It's not a bad mindset to have. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is interesting. And, and I think, you know, the more 
time you spend, you know, what's the, the four quadrants? Uh, I always forget the name of that. There's the urgency, urgency quality, quality, quality yeah, yeah. yeah. And the more time you spend in that quadrant one, that's the busy work. That's the things that are urgent, or, but not really that important. Or you think you're accomplishing things, but you're not. Deep work is not there. Deep work happens in those later quadrants where you're actually like, oh, I'm actually accomplishing change in my business or in my work or my knowledge here. And because I'm not distracted by all those little things. And, you know, we, we, we get back to our clients every day, but they can wait usually a few hours. Tax is, is a good thing. It's, it's not life or death. It, it can usually wait a few hours. Yeah. But it's not just even team members. I mean, we work with a lot of clients who are millennials too. Yeah. And God, you see them work such long hours and so hard. And they're like, why aren't I getting ahead? Yeah. And all I can bring it back to is definitely they're focusing on the shallow tasks. Because if they were creating more value and focusing more for longer, it would all take care of itself, right? If they had in, in regards to your client base, then are you seeing patterns around your millennial client base and, and how they are, how you need to interact versus other generations? Mm, great question. We do a lot of business planning sessions with clients. We sit, you know, we sit down for half a day with them. We come up with what their vision for the business is, what their 12-month plans and goals and actions and budgets and KPIs and all those things. It's a, a, a really good session. I think the difference between doing that with a millennial client versus doing that with, uh, say, an older generation client is they do already come in with a few value ideas and purpose ideas and they know what they want. Yeah. yeah. They know what they want to achieve from it but then they just have no idea about the actions and, and keeping accountable to it. And so the accountability really helps for them. Definitely. Whereas the mm. older generations, it might be like, all right, well, what are, where are you actually going? What are you trying to achieve here? And then that is kind of eye-opening for a lot of those people. They're like, oh yeah, I kind of had a vague idea that I wanted to retire or I wanted this or that, but I found really, it's kind of a slightly different approach for both. It's almost, it felt like it's almost a su- suspiciousness. Like, what are you trying to do here? Yeah, like if, to if you talk to some sort of millennial science or what? If you talk to them about their values, you know, we we start, we call it a strategic compass. You know, you got your values, your anchors, your purpose, your, you know, all these things. And and the millennials are like, this is great straight away, yeah. uh, and they might already have their ideas. Whereas I do find a lot of the older generations that like you just see them like, hmm, okay, but when do we get to the budget? Like, <laughs> and then once you get to the yeah. end, they can see the value in it. But yeah. that is something I have noticed. I don't know if you've noticed that with the For ones sure. you've done. I, yeah. I, and yeah, you're right with the purpose and the values. And um, also it's important to tie your personal objectives to the business objectives because if they're not in alignment, then you're very quickly going to burn out as a human being because you're just not meeting you know, your needs of spending time with family or going on holidays or playing sport or whatever it may be. So when you speak to millennials, they know what they want uh, personally. I want the caravan. Yep. And I want to I be able to go pick up my kids from school and I want to do this, this and this. When you speak to older generations, they're like, um, no, I'm pretty happy working my 50 hours a week. And yeah. yeah, as long as I can earn this. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Are you sure? There's no other yeah. personal goals you have. We always try and come up with uh, lifestyle KPIs when we do the business plans. Like you have your business KPIs, but what's something personally that if you achieve this every week, it's like, yes, I'm, I'm achieving that balance that I'm trying to get. And the, the best example of this is uh, an accountant friend of ours. Uh, his was li- uh, surfs per week was one of his lifestyle KPIs. But nice asking, measure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, asking the older generations that question, they do struggle with it. They're like, oh, I don't know. Um, 
Do you have hobbies? Do you, do you, do you, are you trying to purchase something? Yeah. You got a financial code? Yeah, I'd like an investment property, I guess. <laughs> and like, that's always where it it's comes back like, to. Like they, and it's almost like they had, had this conversation. Yeah. And look, not every generation reacts that way. No, no, no. Totally. People dependent. We're putting people into buckets. We are. Everything we said we shouldn't do. Yeah. We did, we did, but yeah, no, it's so there. true, so true. Yeah, a, a key question I've I've really wanted to ask you guys. There's always all these other pre-quick key questions, but did you guys buy a business because you knew you were going to be crap employees, <laughs> or did you buy a business because you knew that there weren't enough great leaders out there that could meet your needs as an employee? I never considered myself a leader in any space. I, I think just kind of naturally. Tim's probably the same is, is we do tend to not take control of situations, but we, we do tend to try and find solutions and work with people yeah. and, and do problem those things, solvers, problem yeah. solvers. But I, I didn't buy it because I was like, I want to be a leader. Like if it's an A or B and I have to choose one, it's, I was probably going to be a crap employee <laughs> and I wanted to, I could have picked that from yeah, you. <laughs> and, and, and I, I wanted to do things the way that I wanted to do them. I think is, is, is probably, you know, there's a time when you're studying accounting where a lot of the people you're studying with are talking about going to work for the big four. You know, they're like, yep, I'm going to PwC. I'm working for Ernst & Young or whatever. I got this internship and, and they just get slaughtered in time and they really fall into that kind of old school mentality of I'm a cog in this machine just working away. And that just wasn't for me. I knew I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. And I think Tim's exactly the same. And it's the whole reason why both of us stayed in a job where we could have been earning more money at that earlier point in our career by moving to the city and working one of these jobs. But we didn't want to do it that way. We wanted to do it our way. And we felt other people probably wanted to do it our way too. So why don't we, you know, we had an opportunity, let's keep exploring that. And that's something that sort of developed over time for me anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I family business, a little bit different for me than Dan, but um, I like the culture of the Central Coast growing up small town. It's getting a bit bigger now these days because half of, half of Sydney has moved here. But um, yeah, for me, it was like staying in that simpler life, having time to do the things I want to do, which was probably a little bit wrong because running a business is very time consuming and all consuming really. So there's that. But yeah, I definitely, like Dan, never saw myself working for a big corporate business ever. And I had school principals in year 12 telling me, when are you going to go like work for PwC or KPMG? Because they knew I wanted to be an accountant. Like, why don't you apply? And I had the grades to go. We both had the grades to go study in Sydney and we'll get those jobs. It would have been easy, but um, just not what we wanted. I uh, really wanted to have my cake and eat it too, like I said before. Unless it's carrot, of course. No, no, carrot's good. Mm. Carrot's great. <laughs> but yeah, so... And that's a bit different to even some of the way... Yeah, a lot of my friends at school moved moved away from the coast. Yeah. So it was probably a little, maybe a little bit different in that regard too. But I can imagine that's going to be more and more a thing for younger generations coming through, wanting to stay where they've grown up, not necessarily feeling like they need to move to a big city yeah. or get a big corporate job to learn the ropes. It was definitely seen as less than when we were growing yeah, like, up. Sure. Why would you yeah. stay on the coast? If, yeah. you, if like you got this opportunity, you can go do these things. Like I, I went to yeah. uni in Sydney and everyone I knew there was like, really? You, yeah. 
live on the central coast. Why, 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 why do you do that? Why don't you work for Big Four for like 10 years yeah. and then and go then back to work? It's like, it's because like, it's completely different. Yeah. And that's not the lifestyle yeah. I want. So for me, it was a lifestyle choice, which is, I think it's definitely worked out. I have a better lifestyle than I would have if I'd gone to the city or corporate. And I haven't sacrificed any quality or experience in my knowledge either. No, definitely not. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to know, look back, go and chat with those people who are telling you this, how many wish they were doing what you guys are doing now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I reckon it'd be a high percentage, to be honest. I mean, we've, we, and we've stumbled into other areas, like the podcast, for instance. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that's meant that we've had exposure to all these people in, in the industry and, and small businesses everywhere that we would have never done that if we worked at one of these big four accounts. You know, you just kind of do your thing and you work a million hours and, and you shut up. But we where it felt empowered to be like, hey, let's start a podcast where people can listen to us yammer on for 45 minutes <laughs> to an hour with some nuggets of content. And yeah. that's yeah, that's that's a lifestyle thing for us as well. It's yeah, like, we enjoy doing we it. We enjoy doing it. We're still doing it five years later. We're, we're running the business the way we'd liked to work in it. It doesn't always work. We still have ways to improve. Oh, we still definitely. have things we want to do. This, as Tim said, the realities of running a business is is never what people hope. <laughs> it's always harder but it's also more rewarding. And that's why I think to answer your original question, we decided to do that rather than... Uh, work for someone work as an employee. Someone. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't... It was never... I thought I'd be a bad employee. No. I just thought I could get more or have more by working for myself. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. So let's start to bring this the full circle. Again, you guys are leaders. You happen to be millennial leaders. You're leading millennials in your business as well as other generations what do you love about leading millennials one thing you love dan oh you can't tie me down like that brendan <laughs> that's why i said i specifically said this time just one, one thing, thing dan. i remember once you asked me a question at a panel and you're starting i said to shake no. you started yeah, to twitch no. Like, <laughs> no one answer that one uh, you did too yeah <laughs> uh, i've one got this thing. subconscious problem yeah. with that <laughs> One thing that I like about leading millennials, it's probably variety. If I if I was going to put it that way, you know, um, to to expand the challenge on that. of the variety they yeah, offer. Yeah, exactly. It's it's they have a variety of of wants and needs, uh, and also there's a variety of things that they want to be doing, and and finding opportunities for them to do those things, I think, is both a rewarding challenge, but also rewarding when when you see them doing something they love doing, and and they get excited about it, and you're like, oh, we've We've provided them with that opportunity and we found a solution to that. That's rewarding to me and, and helping people to fulfill their purpose. So you just brought in a second one? No. That's no, you part did. of the first. It's part I was, of, I was it's, almost, I was this close to giving it, you a participation certificate to say, B. well done for keeping to one. <laughs> it's one B, yeah. <laughs> it's one B, there yeah. you go. Tim, what uh, do you love thing. about leading millennials? Yeah, it's got to be the culture, I think. Yeah. Spending time together doing things as a team. That's what gets me going about working with millennials. I think they're just really fun people. And yeah, especially if they really know... people like me that aren't fun? No, I think just like, you know, Brendan... Just say yes, Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think they just, they really crave it compared Mm. to other generations. It's it's an optional thing. Work doesn't have to be dire. It's a choice. It doesn't have to be boring, those sorts of things. Yeah, they... And I'm the same. I knew I was going to be spending a lot of time at work. And, uh, but I wanted that part of my life to be a good thing, a happy, positive thing. So that approach to culture 
would be what I like about millennials. So they can join in with me on that. Because <laughs> I am a millennial myself. <laughs> We've just spent a, a decent amount of time talking about us as millennials, managing millennials and being millennials. But you're the culture of leadership, Brendan. What's your opinion? I'd like to hear what you think. True, here. true. Well, I'll, I'll give you my opinion soon. Okay. It is my podcast, by the way. Yeah. I get to ask I'm the question, not you. Now. Yeah, yeah. I know you guys <laughs> yeah. have a fantastic podcast. Thanks for podcast. listening, everybody, this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but great yeah. question. I will give you my thoughts yeah. at the end. Okay. Well, first of all, though, yeah. no, what frustrates thing. you? What's what frustrates the most frustrating me? thing about leading millennials? It's probably the same thing that gives me excitement. It's the variety. It's, yeah. it's that it's so hard to figure out what they want and, and what does work. Uh, it's, it's both rewarding and a challenge. Millennials are great and terrible at the same time. And, I, and that's me included. And, and I think that's the most frustrating bit is, is sometimes it is hard to figure out, all right, I know that I, I want to give you this purpose and I want to give you the tools and, and the opportunities that will fulfill you. But how do I work that into lodging tax returns for me as well. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not an easy question. So yeah, that, that's one of the challenges for me. Yeah. For me, it's if they're slanting more towards the work-life balance, they're using that as maybe an excuse or a reason why they can't work harder or commit themselves more to the trade and taking pride in their work. That's, that's really the thing that kills me. And I, I don't know if that's just a millennial thing or not, but I, it probably is more skewed towards millennials. And, and this, is, this is our clients as well as our team, I think. I, I think this yeah. is, you know, we see clients all the time who have these goals and they want to reach financial things, but then it, that's really clashing with their lifestyle. And, that's and, right. And you're like, all right, well, there is a trade-off here. And this trying to find that happy medium, I think, is, is hard. That kills me. And usually they're self-aware about it too. Yeah, we've had this with team members in the past as well where you're like look you've got to learn and work hard at this just like being an athlete the best athletes work the hardest don't they that's why they're superstars and earn the most pay and they're world famous because they are working probably harder than yes they have a lot of talent but they're probably working the hardest as well so don't expect to be in that in those shoes unless you're willing to get down and dirty and, and do the hard stuff as well and put time towards your career and your own skills and uh, don't just think it's going to happen without working outside of nine to five. Because certainly that wasn't the way I ever approached working in my career, even though I'm a millennial. I think sort of that it takes hard work. Yeah, mm. discipline and sacrifice and Definitely. things like to be good at anything. Let's have it? fun while we're doing it and feel fulfilled and feel like we're making a difference doesn't mean it's easy. So that's probably the thing that really I don't like, if anything, about millennials. That could be any generation again, but I think it's probably more prolific mm. in younger generations or millennials, unfortunately. Dan, what was your question? Uh, <laughs> what do you think you may about ask managing? Yeah, yeah, You've asked one good thing yeah. and one bad thing. Yeah. We you, still have a final question to go, but let's, okay. let's go. All right. So as I said, we are the millennials. You've been asking all these questions, but you're the culture of leadership here. We want to know what, what's your opinion. Also, what, what are you're your not tips? A you're not a millennial. And you're not a millennial. You're Gen X, you said before. What are so. you? Are you you're, you're a boomer? Are you? Are you the, the, the greatest generation? Yeah. <laughs> Brendan the boomer. <laughs> Should we? We just cut this bit, bang, and we're back. <laughs> no, it's obviously you're a Gen X. So, so what? What's, did yeah, you I'm pay 75. for your university degree, or did you have to put it on? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> so that's not. You don't have to answer yeah. that question. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm still paying. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. No. So I'm actually of the belief that there's very little difference. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, part of the takeaways going through my head whilst we're having these conversations is that there's a number of factors that help people better engage, that word engage in the workplace. And one of them you guys have, well, you've actually spoken about all three of them at length. Uh, one of them's autonomy, like having that level of autonomy, how you get that from people. And we're all unique, whether we're an old fart like me or young guys like, like you guys, we're all unique in how we get that level of autonomy, the sort of conversation we need to have, what drives this level of motivation around people. Some of that's related to work, some of that's related to a greater purpose and, and how the work drives that. And that's the other point, purpose. Fundamentally, even though older people maybe are not attuned to it as much as the younger generation is what you're saying. If you can find that purpose, then it leads you to do stuff that's not that exciting, but there's a greater course and that creates another level of engagement. And the other thing is you've got to be good at your job. Yeah. Mm. Whether you're 30 or whether you're 60, if you're good at your job, that also creates another level of engagement, yes. another level of satisfaction. If you're satisfied with stuff, you're feeling good about stuff, you're For growing sure. in confidence. It's a big part of why I talk about creating confident leaders. If you can do those sort of, there's always bits and pieces around that. If you're learning to have good meetings and you know how to have tough conversations, but also praising type conversations and giving out participation awards and that sort of stuff, yeah. that might work. Mm, but should do that. to me, fundamentally, those sort of things underpin irrespective of who you are. And if as leaders, we can try and do that and be focused on doing that and not knowing all the answers, but being okay with that. Let's yeah. just have a conversation. Dan, what motivates you? Like what, what? gets you off in this, oh, great, Twan. even if you just understand that, yeah. then you can have conversations around that. And that may not nothing to do with work, yeah. but it's like showing interest, you're feeling valued. Oh, Brendan That's right. cares about that's what right. I've been up to on the weekend or my tennis game that night or whatever mm. it was. So yeah. I think I think that's absolutely right. And I think maybe the the difference between each generation might just be the priority on which of those three they put first. It's so, a fair point. So maybe uh, an older generation might be I'm good at my job is my number one. Yeah, confidence then, in your skill and your, yeah. your ability. And yeah. then it's autonomy and then it's purpose. And then for a millennial, it might be, well, I want to put autonomy and then purpose and then I'm good at my job. <laughs> yeah. And then the next generation might be, well, no, I want purpose number one. And then, you know, so it's it might just be, and that could be person to person as well. It's like not everyone's, as we said right at the beginning, don't put us in a box, but putting people in a box. Um, yeah, it could be broadly speaking, every generation prioritizes each one of those things slightly differently, Absolutely. but it's still those three things, right? Fundamentally, if, if if as leaders, the people who we're lucky enough to, to lead, then if they feel like they matter to that person, then you're over such a big brick wall. You know, if we were working together and you're feeling like Brenda doesn't even care who I, he just doesn't, I don't feel like I matter to him or, or her, then you haven't got a lot of foundation to build from. Have yeah, you? very true. People are people. We want to connect with people like you guys said. Yeah. So fundamentally the I how like that. might change absolutely yeah, how might change absolutely at, at, at its core it's the same yes and that's my belief is why there's so many great leadership leadership development all these books out there they're fantastic you guys read i read but there's no magic bullet because every single person is unique if there was then we'd be earning a hell of a lot of money say well this is how you do it every time yeah problem is that I'm going to do this today with you and it works. Mm. Yeah. And then I think it's going to work tomorrow. Well, who knows how you've woken up that day yeah, yeah. or what's going on. Like it just may not work. So true. That's the variation that we get to deal with. Mm. And so full circle. Your point about challenge. 
back to Tim's original point, people suck, right? That's what. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, so That's what you, so what you were saying again. Well, people yeah, are people, the and they're, they're beautiful yeah. beings. You and be, yeah, glass half full. They're curious. Like I'm curious yeah, about yeah. people yeah, and the way they behave and act and think. Absolutely, yeah. that's a nice way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, they, they interest me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Sean's off mic, you were saying, no, no, no. All right, let's get, you, let's get okay. to our last very, yeah. very serious question, which is, I'll start with Tim. What is it, that one thing again, I love this one thing. Ooh, the one mm. thing. What's the one thing that has helped you become a more confident leader? Yeah, that's a great question. Because actually, I still think I've got a lot to learn <laughs> in being a leader, to be honest. Which is why. <laughs> I think... It's coming back to that purpose. It's believing in what we're trying to achieve. So I think I'm a really detail-oriented person. I really get bogged down in the details sometimes. But if I take a step back and think about the why, it just simplifies things. So more and more, I'm trying to catch myself for not getting in the weeds and not trying to control things. And all the things I said not to do with managing a millennial, (laughs) I'm falling into the trap of sometimes doing. So uh, through trial and error and mistakes, I think I'm learning. It's really got to be simpler and easier, which is focusing on the why. Nice. Yeah. Said like a true millennial. (laughs) (laughs) I think similar but slightly different answer to Tim is that I think there's a lot of pressure when you're in a leadership position to feel like you need to have the answer or, or um, a way to, to fix any problem or, or solve these things. But more and more you realize, and I think it's probably just a fact of getting older as well, is that you don't know everything and that's okay. And part of it is just being able to be there to help create the solution, not necessarily providing the solution to something. So, And that's similar to what Tim was saying is sometimes we feel... As accountants, we're just naturally very detailed people. We want to get in the weeds. We want to say, no, this is the best way to do this thing. But that leaves us in a position where we're constantly having to tell people things or, or micromanage something. And, and we might not know the best way to actually do that. They might have a better way to do it. And so having trust in the team, having an understanding that I don't necessarily need to provide an answer. I just need to be there to support people to create that answer. I think that has helped me more recently, I think. And that's, that's a learning I'm still trying to develop because, yeah, there is pressure on, on leaders to feel like you need to come up with a solution. Yeah. Well, particularly, I think just during the COVID years, everything went out the window and now we're kind of rebuilding. And I would have said before COVID, I felt more confident as a leader and manager than I probably do now. And it's just, there's just been so much change. And whether it's my reaction to that change or the change in the people that we work with. But yeah, I think, yeah. It's, well, it's, 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 not, it's not trying to solve everyone's issues. Yeah, It's just being there for them. Which you hit the nail on the head before with what you were saying, Brendan, is showing them that you care and that you're there for them. And that, that can be hard if you're in that busy, shallow trap. Mm, you just mm, want to fix As it. a manager, yeah. you just... And then you're like, get 10 minutes... In your day, to be like, oh, hey, you're the, you are there still, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, just checking in. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just having the time and the, the space in your mind. To and coming be from fun. positions of, of we were the doers in this mm. business for a very long time. Exactly. We, we, exactly. we were the ones doing everything. Yeah. Um, to, to step back and no longer do it is also a transition that I'm sure many leaders go through. And I think that's all part of that as well. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, re- really good points. Again, I guess my takeaway from what you guys are saying that 
if your why is driving that, it's probably maybe even giving you the the boldness and the courage to take the next step. So helping you feel confident that hey, I don't know everything, yeah, but my why is this, so it's driving some of that. And yours is is similar in actually just being comfortable with the fact that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it's okay to not know. Yeah. Funny. And that what turns around to make you more confident. Yeah. Just being comfortable with, yeah. hey, we don't know. Awesome. It's, it's, simpler, it's simpler than it seems, doesn't it? When you're in the thick of it and this dealing is with the issues. Thing. Yeah. This is the thing that always, look, I'm a really simple, I like to say I'm a really simple man. I'm a bit complex in some of the things I do from time to time, but I'm simple and I like to keep leadership simple. And it is, it's just down to some simple thinking, some simple framework, some simple mindset. But fundamentally, if you know yourself and you're open to learning about yourself more and more, then you'll get through. And if you're encouraged, I think both of you guys said it top, more in the top of the show that if you can help your people in your organization start to think like that as well, then you're, you know, you're on some secret source stuff. Yeah. Right? And there's not a problem you can't solve together. True. Because exactly. you're open about it. You've got a level of vulnerability. We can work through it. We can pull on each other's strengths. Yes. We can help cover weaknesses that we all have from time to time and we can move forward. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's, that's what it's massive. about. Massive. Yeah. And that's something we're still learning every day. It's everyone still learning it. Yeah. Mm. Because it's not easy to put yourself out there in that capacity. It's not easy for your team. It's not easy for you. So, what's that? Um, Michael Scott from The Office, the book, the how somehow I manage. I manage. <laughs> somehow I manage. Yeah. Sounds like a great title. <laughs> so good. Uh, there's some good stuff out there. Yeah. Some great titles, isn't there? Uh, look forward. Have your book reviewed it yet? Or no, we thought about it. Yeah, it would be a good yeah. one. <laughs> Sounds like a good one. Well, guys, it's it's taken a while to get on. Get us it together. Yeah. You guys have such a busy schedule <laughs> and in such high demand. It's been very, very difficult getting you on, but yeah. very, very happy that we've had a conversation. The two drunk accountants, thank you very much for coming on, Tim and Dan. Thanks for having us on. Here's your participation certificate yes. for coming on to the culture of leadership yes. and being such fantastic guests thank today. You. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Mark's just printing it now. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Great to have you on, you guys. Better be laminated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mark, get the laminator. Start yeah. heating it up. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Good to have you. Pleasure having you. Did you say good to have yeah, you? Yeah. This is my podcast, <laughs> not yours. It's good to have you on. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> As leaders, do we really need to treat millennial workers differently to other generations? For me, the short answer is no. If you make people feel that they matter, set clear expectations for their role, but give them the autonomy of how and where they do it, support them to be good at their job, and ensure they understand how their role is connected to a greater purpose, then you will do well with retaining and attracting good people. These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Tim and Dan. My first key takeaway, confident leaders prioritize purpose. Millennials are motivated by a clear sense of purpose. They have to feel they are contributing to a greater good. It's important to communicate the purpose and how the employee's role contributes to achieving it. Provided there isn't a great disparity between a millennial's salary and what they need to fund their lifestyle, they are likely to prioritize purpose over financial reward. My second key takeaway, confident leaders embrace uniqueness. To create a culture of leadership that empowers millennials, leaders must foster an environment where every person's unique experiences and perspectives are valued. 
They want to feel included and that their voice is heard and considered. Millennials like to know they are part of the process to help the business and drive solutions. When embraced, millennials, like any generation, have unique perspectives that will add value to the team. My third key takeaway, confident leaders embrace remote working. They know remote work enables access to a broader talent pool. It allows for greater flexibility and work-life balance, which is not only highly valued by millennials, it's increasingly seen as a standard option in many industries by all employees. Remote work also provides opportunities for deeper focus and less distraction, leading to more productivity. Recognizing the many benefits confident leaders will adapt their leadership style to support remote work. So in summary, my three key takeaways were, confident leaders prioritize purpose, confident leaders embrace uniqueness, and confident leaders embrace remote working. What were your key takeaways? You can leave me a comment at thecultureofleadership.com or on YouTube. Thanks for joining me. And remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. Thanks for listening to The Culture of Leadership. You can access the show notes at thecultureofleadership.com. If you enjoy the show, please follow, rate, and give a review on your favorite podcast platform.